Okay, we're recording. Hey, TJ. What's up, man? How's hey, it going? How are you? Um, what do you think if I started a company and I just went to other people's websites, stole all of their their content, and then let you let other people get their content from me instead of from the original owner? So I'm thinking in a situation like I'm New York Times, I've got a paywall. And what you do is you pay, you buy a subscription, you do all the website scraping, and then I pay you 10 bucks a month and I get New York Post, I get New York Times, I get all the stuff for way cheaper than the full subscription. Is that what you're thinking? Yep. What are your thoughts? Um, I think that it's basically... It's basically like one of those services where you pay some money for torrents. I I, I don't I, I don't even know if those exist, but I kind of feel like they would. Just like you get top notch, really really good torrents that you pay four ninety nine a month. Okay. You know, I think it's definitely unethical. But oh, interesting. I just decent. described to you the Google business model. Boom. That's true. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay. What if the new company, I'm going to, um, find out things you like and then make a bunch of stuff where you will end up answering questions and tell me what you like. And then I'll sell all that to advertisers. Do I get anything out of that? Oh yeah. You get some cool stuff. I'm going to make you little apps and stuff that end up giving me all your information. But in, in the meantime, you're going to get cool apps. Do I know that you're doing this or do you like hidden this deep within oh, the bowels? Everybody of the in the world agreement? knows we don't talk about it, but we all know. I mean, it's still pretty dirty, but at least I'm getting something out of it. I just described to you Facebook's business model. You did. <laughs> I can keep going. I'm just kidding. Um, no, we all, uh, we have this, uh, we all know what Facebook's doing. We, we know what Google's doing. We know that when we type in those questions, those, uh, search questions and terms, that uh, they're using it and that they're going to other websites and scraping those sites. But it's so beneficial to us. Like there's so much benefit being created by Facebook or Google answering questions that we need. And we get off in this, uh, this ethical dilemma or we, we think about how bad they are. But if you step back and think about it, they're doing some amazing stuff. Like grandma Lee can go on Google and get information on how to fix her dishwasher or, you know, hit some fact from history, or she can go on Facebook and get access to people and communicate with them that she hasn't talked to in years. And those are all um, services that she doesn't have to pay for directly, but they have to be funded somehow. And so advertising and, and, and scraping websites are, are what they do to make that happen. But I uh, just thought it was interesting. Here's one for you. Let's say I start a company where I sell you a device where I write the operating system for it. I also tell you what apps you can and cannot install on it, but you get to buy. And if for whatever reason, you're not happy with the operating system that I've installed, you can't install another operating system on said device. You're hitting me in the heart. Like there's a deep one. I know what you're saying. Yep. You're talking about uh, my fruit Apple. company. Yes, yes, sir. Describe an Apple business wow. model. But it's so, it's so shiny. Like, it have you seen shiny. that new mm, the new iPhone? Oh. Okay, so this is what the topic that I've... I, it's funny that we were just kind of bouncing these ideas 
you know, these, these business models that we're watering down to like what they actually are. It's funny that we're talking about this because like this subject of ownership is one that I've been wanting to touch on for a while. So speaking of ownership, a um, little follow-up, um, guess what I did not find this weekend? That Apple Watch. Yeah, that Apple Watch. Yeah, it was my daughter's birthday, and she ended up getting like this toy watch. And uh, yeah, she, she made it very clear that she did, still didn't know where my watch was. And and uh, then now one of my other grandmas is now making fun of me about uh, losing my watch. So I got to figure things out. I'm running out of time. Okay, I'll stop. Wait, what is? I I didn't understand the reference. It's a dad joke. It's just time. Oh, oh, okay. The watch, I got it. Oh, that went right over my head. Um, so have you thought about getting the series five? (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like the obvious answer. You just just go and get yourself. Here's the here's my problem. Okay, I don't have a very good track record of keeping my Apple watches. Oh, gotcha. Hmm. So okay, what happened anyway, to the ones before this one? Never had one before this one. Oh, well, yeah. I I've mean, lost 100% of my Apple when Watches. You, when you've only you know, been at bat one time and you struck out that one time, you're not going to have a very good batting average. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. Okay, in all seriousness, um, ownership. Um, well, real quick. So here's the thing. Um, I don't know if you've been following the Fortnite fiasco that happened over this weekend. Have you? Yeah, yeah. Explain it to me. Okay, so Fortnite is kind of renowned for having these in-game events where it's really amazing what Epic Games is able to do. We've had we had a live marshmallow concert in the game at one point. Um, there was a rocket that went off and like blew up one part of the map. We had a giant robot bear fight a Godzilla-esque monster like they have done some of the coolest stuff in a video game that I've ever seen because all this stuff is happening server side it all has to happen for the same people at the same time it's I, I don't know how exactly they do it but it's it's so much fun every time it happens so they had this one um event that they were leading up to that was ominously titled the end and we were all like okay this is they're going to do something big here because the icon for the game changed to like everybody waving goodbye to like the battle bus or whatever. And so we knew something big was going to happen and it did. And before, before I talk about what actually happened, me and my buddy were talking about it and we were like, they can't actually end this game. Like they can't just have a sign, you know, like have a, like change the login screen to just be like, you know, it's been a good time. You know, we enjoyed Fortnite, but we're retiring it. They can't do that because so many people have bought like these $20 skins and they release like new $20 skins, like every three days. It's all the time. People have invested hundreds of dollars into this game, but I don't know that they couldn't actually do that because at some point Fortnite's not going to be popular anymore. It's going to shut down, but let me get back to what, what happened on Saturday. No, Sunday. So what happened on Sunday, the entire universe basically got sucked into a black hole and it was really dramatic, lots of music, and all of a sudden we're staring at this black hole just in space and nothing's happening. So me and my buddies were like, well, wait a couple hours, maybe it's downloading game assets for you know the next, you know, the next version. Who knows what's happening? <clears throat> it didn't come back again for another two, two and a half days. Excuse me, I, I need to drink some water real quick. 
while you're drinking that, I'm going to help describe this a little bit better for new listeners. Fortnite is a game where a hundred, well, was it? I think it's like a hundred people are all on this school bus and everybody jumps out of the school, but oh, the school bus is flying through the air. They all jump out at the same time or within like 30 seconds. And then they all parachute down to some island that's deserted and they uh, find guns and kill each other. It's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty much it. It's a ton of fun. It's great. Um, and it's free. And it's, it's free. It's kind of a, a big game changer in a lot of ways because it's like the first game to really support cross-platform between Xbox and PlayStation, you know, and there's a lot of stuff there. So anyway, we're staring at this black hole in space for two and a half days. Nobody can use any of the stuff that they bought. And it's making me think that eventually, you know, one day, this game is going to shut down. It's going to shut down for good. What's going to happen to all that money that people have invested into skins? You know, and which makes me think, like, how much of anything on the Internet do we actually own? How because deep, this is just a small part of it. How deep do you want to go? Like, what is ownership? It's just it's an agreement amongst humans um, about some physical item or digital item. Like, do you own your land um, if another country, you know, takes over? Do you still own it? No, that it goes away. That agreement's null. Do you own your iPhone? Like you, you physically have access to it, but you don't, you don't control the software. It's interesting. True. And I mean, I think that's what, if like this pair of headphones I'm wearing, I, I own this pair. If somebody came into my house and tried to take my pair, then I would have a major problem with it because I traded good, like money for goods. I got my, set of headphones i i don't want anybody stealing it <clears throat> same with my iphone same with my laptop um name pretty much anything like to me that's the core concept of ownership is that i exchanged something that i worked hard for for another thing and now that thing that i exchanged no longer mine but the thing that i got for it is so that's what that like that to me is just like my core concept of ownership like somebody could take it you know, like a country could come, you know, take my land. That's possible. But in the meantime, I still own it. Hmm. That's kind of what I'm thinking. So and our digital stuff, like whenever I buy a song on iTunes or I, I buy a movie on Amazon or I buy something on Google Play, one of these these uh, products or these these media assets that are not on my local machine. I, every time I want to watch them, I stream them from Google or Apple or somebody. Do I own it? What if they shut down? That's, that's the thing. Like I bought movies on iTunes, you know, a lot of people buy their entire library on iTunes. Those things are all DRM. If Apple wants to take them away, if they lose the rights to sell those for whatever reason, they can be remotely like wiped. I was talking to my dad recently and this topic came up and uh, he was mentioning that he keeps buying the same Eagles album over and over. He bought it on record. He bought it on CD. He bought it on cassette. He bought it on, you know, an MP3 somewhere. He, He keeps buying it over and over and he doesn't get to transfer it between devices. He, I, I guess there's ways that he could, but he has to keep buying it. Um, 
are we doing the same thing? Are we going to, is the same thing going to happen with our digital goods? Like I know that iTunes is starting to upscale some of its 1080p videos to 4k. That's cool. That's something we couldn't do with our cassette tape. But if, you know, if, if Apple went out of business, I would still have the cassette, the Eagles cassette tape that I could listen to. But if, you know, Apple goes out of business, then my Apple music subscription is going to go away and I, I don't have access to that Eagle song. What do you think? I mean, it's, it's true. This is one of the reasons why I used to buy all my music and, you know, CD-ROMs. Because I was like, if if the zombie apocalypse happens tomorrow, I'm going to lose internet. Spotify is not going to work. Then I need to be able to continue listening to my music locally. And I I didn't trust having everything on the hard drive because what if that hard drive failed. So I would just buy physical media. That's not practical anymore. But see, with Spotify, I'm paying. I'm okay with Spotify because I I realize I don't own any of this music. All I'm purchasing is the right to access it. I pay ten bucks a month. I can access millions and millions and millions of songs. But I understand that if I quit subscribing to Spotify, I will lose that access. I think you, it's uh, different, though. You you just, you just described it when you said I can access. You didn't say I get right. or I own. 40 million songs. I get to access 40 million songs. Hmm. But I feel like if I pay 99 cents for a song, I own the right to act like I'm trying to think. Cause I, and this is where things start to get a little bit funky because if I buy a song for 99 cents, I don't own the rights to that song. I didn't buy the rights. I just own the file and nobody can take that file from me. Well, if you have the file in your possession, and if I have that file in possession, yeah. correct. Um, but it's not like that when you're talking about DRM content or content that's behind an application such as Fortnite, Fortnite skins or in-app purchases. You know, well, in-app purchases could be a hit or miss because I might be paying to access something within the app. Um, but the, the DRM stuff, the buying movies on iTunes, buying Fortnite skins... Um, buying movie, movies are a big one for me just because I know that I they could lose the rights to these at any moment and not be allowed to sell them. I could just no longer access it. Absolutely. I guess we have to stop saying buying. We have to say we're, you know, we're paying for access. It's very convenient for me to have my Amazon video library with whatever the latest Aladdin movie that I can watch on any device that I want at any time. And I don't have to carry around the CD or the DVD. That's really convenient, but you're right. Something happens. I, I don't have access. So should we stop thinking about buying movies on Apple TV or on Amazon? Should we stop thinking of that as ownership and more of we, we now have the right to access this whenever. And if we really, really want to own it, should we just start buying DVDs and Blu-rays? I'm not going to, but that that is an option. Like if if my uh, if a family member passed away and they had an entire garage full of of records or DVDs or MP3s on SD cards, anything, I would you know that that data would would be passed along. But what happens if someone passes away and they have a bunch of stuff in an iTunes library? Well, is that just gone? If we don't know their password or they don't pay their Spotify subscription, is, is all of that just gone now? 
Yeah. That's yeah, that's a very valid question. Um, I mean, is it because who who inherits that? Neither. This is what's so interesting because we are so early on in this digital world. We don't really know what that's going to look like, you know, because eventually this is going to become a like when when our generation, you know, starts to pass away. Our children are going to want access to our Google photo libraries or whatever there is like that. And it's just not something that we've really thought about past like the Facebook memorial pages. Like that seems to be as far as we've gotten. You just uh, came up with another business. Digital wills. What do you do with your digital goods? No, that's a, that's a thing. It's, it's important. I've been thinking about companies and their track records and their sizes. So for example, it's probably not my best interest to, purchase all of these videos from some, you know, tiny little online shop that might go out of business or it's been around for just a couple of years. But mm-hmm. for the bigger companies, they're they're less likely to go away quickly. And I'm thinking like Google or Amazon or Apple. Um, I know several years ago, I think it was Google Video, and this is right before they bought YouTube, right around the same period, they uh they had their own uh, video service where you could buy movies and watch them on Google video. And then they ended up mm-hmm. shutting that service down and they refunded everybody. I think they might've even give them, given the customers, the actual media files, but the way that they handled that shutdown was really classy, um, like full refunds and, and giving them the media. If, if that, if I'm remembering correctly, but you can't afford to do that at something at the scale, like Amazon or, you know, when you, if the product was really small, that's doable with it for a giant company. But, um, I just thought that was a really classy way to handle shutting down some type of, of online service. But for some tiny little company, they can just disappear tomorrow. And, you know, who do you own it? Were you just paying for the access? Uh, then I started to think, well, you know, Amazon, they're too big. They'll, they'll never fail. And then I uh, uh, found out that Sears, Sears is going out of business. Sears was, yeah. was too big. It was never going to fail. It was like the Amazon before the internet, they had the, a monopoly on like the, the catalog business. You would get this thing mailed to you. You'd fill, you know, pick what you want and you'd order it and have it shipped to you. So it's like an, a, an early version of Amazon and uh, they're going away. So the same thing could happen to Amazon. And when it does. Most certainly. Most certainly. What happens to our stuff? I think watching Microsoft go from king of the hill to the underdog for me was like any of these companies could like go through some major pain at like any point in time. Like we need to expect Apple to eventually go down again. Just like when Apple came back up, like basically rose from the dead, it was, which, which was amazing to watch, but like they could do the same thing, but the opposite direction in a few years, like we don't know what's going to happen. And so for Amazon to fail, which is entirely possible, we could lose like all of the music that we bought and all the videos. Like that's just very, very possible because if they're, if they don't have enough profit and they don't have enough money to be able to re up their licenses, it's very possible that we're going to lose that. It's getting more and more expensive every year. I'm just thinking about like Netflix, for example, they keep uh, trying to increase their collection or making deals and it just keeps getting more and more expensive and it can't go up forever. They can't, they can't, but let's take this, let's take this up, you know, a notch two things. Um, for one, 
applications that we buy on larger scale devices such as PCs, Macs, and proprietary hardware such as the iPad and the iPhone. So we can talk about licenses, which makes sense because I think I, I have less of a problem with, let's say I buy an FTP client, let's say I buy a text editor, whatever. I understand that with this, I basically am buying a license to use the product. I don't really own it. And that could go away at any time, such as if I bought something on the app store, Apple goes away. I no longer can app access the app or the app gets removed from the app store and therefore I can no longer run it on my machine. Mm-hmm. I understand that I have this implicit agreement with Apple that they could do that to my Mac. I don't love it. I really, really don't love it. The more that I think about it, I sacrifice that for the convenience to be able to have that on a Mac. And we also, with the iPhone, so here's the thing about the iPhone that I find fascinating you and i have talked about this a little bit that is we buy a device for like a thousand dollars give or take more or less we have this beautiful device we have essentially a contract with apple to use ios but if we for whatever reason don't want to use ios we don't want to be restricted by apple um they there's there's no option here I'm I'm stuck on what they give me. And if for whatever reason they didn't want me to use iOS or somebody reported the phone is stolen or they could they could lock me out completely if they wanted to. Oh, absolutely. Um if you look at like your Xbox 360 or no, bad example. Xbox 1. How many physical games do you have purchased compared to the digital downloads? So I'm kind of a, I'm a little bit out there from other people. I actually have quite a few of the, the physical copies, but I quit buying physical copies about a year ago and I switched to digital. So I probably have about eight physical games and I probably have three or four digital. I have one physical game, the game that some zoo tycoon that came with it. Everything else mm-hmm. I have is digital. How many, uh, how many Sega Genesis games do you have compared to digital? Well, it was the opposite back then. Like everything was on a cartridge. You owned it. You could, you can continue to play it today, even though, even though they no longer support or handle any type of, yeah, they don't have to handle any type of support for Sega Genesis, but you can still play every game today if you had the, the correct hardware. Yeah, most certainly. Um, you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier that there are companies that are um, I'll put one in the show notes, one that actually looks pretty decent. It's got HDMI support and everything. People who are rebuilding like the Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, and you can run all the old classics, put the cartridge in, boom, there you go. You're ready to play. And it's that was kind of like a golden age when you think about it for computing, not just for gaming, because you can, what you had, you owned, and you can still run it today. Hmm. You said golden age, and now... I have thoughts in both directions. So back then, if I wanted to play a game and I didn't have physical access to it, I just couldn't play it. If uh, mm-hmm. I needed information, I I just couldn't get it. But now with the internet, I can get that right now. I can go play Fortnite and get the update tonight. I don't have to 
uh, you know, wait for my friend to come over and bring his game with him. So if you say golden age, I think today would be the golden age of access, but. But you only have that access as long as Epic Games wants you to have it. Because sometimes like this past few, this past weekend, plenty plenty of people were off from work work and wanted to play Fortnite. They couldn't because Epic wasn't letting anyone. Yeah. You lost complete control. Once you, you turn over in exchange for convenience, I I can play Fortnite on any machine, keep my same skins, but Epic can turn it off over the weekend because they want to, man. It's crazy to think about. And so here's the other thing. Another reason why I say golden age is that the days of cartridges when super smash brothers, the original super smash brothers from Nintendo 64, donkey Kong 64, all these games, when they came out and they were released, they pressed onto cartridges. That was it. We didn't have situations like Batman Arkham. Uh, I think it was Arkham Asylum or one of those where it's like it was just an absolute botch to launch on PC, just unusable. That's you know, fair. it it had to be it had to be done. There was no post launch updates. That was it. There was no loot boxes. But if you think about Fortnite in in this reference, Fortnite is constantly changing, and that's one of the reasons that everybody loves it. And it's become as big as it has been is because we have traded for that, that convenience. Um, They're able to change the map on the fly. They're able to update things. It's not saved on a cartridge or or printed onto a cartridge one time. So both of them are cool. Yeah, they are both cool. I I think, I think the reason why I bring this up though, is because I'm, I'm becoming not, not jaded with the Mac or with Apple because I mean, I've like you and I discussed last week, I'm pretty much sold on iOS itself. I don't expect to do any tinkering with it. I don't expect to do anything that would cause Apple to want me to not have access to iOS. I just think it's weird that we buy hardware and say that we own an iPhone when we're in reality, we're not the ones that are in control. Apple's the one that's in control. <laughs> if they want to remove an app, they can remove an app. They want it to, to, you know, lock my phone remotely. They could do that mm-hmm. too. Um, like we're really not the ones in control. And yet we want to pretend like we actually own the device when, we don't own the device. I own a PC and I install, you know, Ubuntu or Debian or Fedora on it. That's a PC I own. Nobody's going to do anything to that PC. Nobody can do anything remotely to that computer. Like that's a machine that I own. I guess R- and R- Richard Stallman's um, dream of you know open source BIOS, open source hardware, open source operating system, everything for the entire computer um, you could own and have on a cartridge there at the house. And in a hundred years, if you could find the equipment to, to boot it up, you could still run everything. That is the only, um, the only way that you would truly own it is if you had access to everything. And we have traded that a hundred percent. My iPhone, if, if I try to boot up an iPhone two, uh, iPhone two G, the, the, the very first one, I can't even open up Google Maps anymore because Apple's changed the Apple or Google changed the API. So the original YouTube app or Google Maps app, they won't work anymore. The uh, yeah, uh, and all it takes is for them to you know make a couple of changes, and very few features of that device will work if it will even boot. Um, but your Sega Genesis will continue to work. But Richard Stallman's open source laptop with every you know, all the software on on cartridge that will still work. So yep we we've definitely traded uh, freedom and it's, it's, yeah. and everything for this convenience. 
and I think that it's worth it right now in the short term, but I'm wondering if there will eventually be, and this is dark and gloomy, but like, I wonder if there will eventually be a day where we wish that we had. Well, opposite. Um, Maybe it's light and bright because storage is getting so cheap. And um, there might be a time where you can pay a dollar or maybe it's free because you're giving all your data away to those business models we mentioned earlier. And you have access to all of this stuff for free for the, for the rest of your life. Similar to like the internet archive that's, you know, archiving all these old abandoned web projects. So that, that could happen too. It, it could happen. I just don't know that I want to get a whole bunch of free stuff in exchange for no privacy. Okay. The convenience versus the privacy versus the freedom. <laughs> keeps coming back to it. This is it. It's convenience versus privacy. It's like, which one do you want? There's no, there, I'm, I think that's the thing I'm discovering. There is no in between. You can really like, you can, you can be convenient. You can be on what everybody else is using. You can be able to see all the pictures of your niece, like, within minutes of being uploaded but but that company is going to know everything about you they're going to know everything that you search for they're going to know what you want before you know it or you can set up you know some sort of private file sharing service that no one's probably going to use i tried they might i tried making my own cloud man it just got went to spam folder and i couldn't access it so but you could you could use something like Proton Mail, something that that you pay for in exchange for security. Well, they're a smaller mean, company. If they then, go out of business, your stuff's gone anyway. Then yeah, you're you're screwed. Mm. Yeah, I I honestly am thinking that the next computer I get, we'll see, will be a System seventy six laptop, um, and I will I will I'll use Pop OS, which is an Ubuntu variant on that. But I don't know. Because it's because uh, then I know that I am trading convenience for a machine that probably is not as nice as a MacBook Pro, and the operating system definitely won't be as nice as Mac OS. But it will. I I know that I will have a hundred percent freedom. And I also know I'll have privacy, yeah. and I know that what I install or what I put on it, no one can take away. Right, but no one can help you if it's broken. Um, I no one and call Apple, and they can walk me through or swap me out with the device it, or. You know, an appliance really fast, but with the system 76 or one of these, you know, more free, more free open ones. Yeah. L- less likely to, when a kernel update happens and it doesn't go the way that <laughs> it's expected to go, you're kind of, you're kind of in, you're kind of in yep. trouble. You got, you got to figure out how to fix it yep. yourself. Do I set that up for my family? Yeah. Do I give her, you know, my family, family members, seven, system 76 machines. And then now I have to maintain them or do I have the convenience of handing them a Chromebook and knowing I never have to worry about anything is all going to be handled by the device. And if it doesn't work, I get another one. Um, but do, do you feel like that family member who may not know any better needs to have the heads up that everything they do is going to be examined? Uh, yes. But then that <laughs> I agree. Yeah, that's true. They should know. They, they should have that heads up that, yeah, you're getting a bunch of stuff for free, but not really. Fair. Fair. I've been uh, playing with the Raspberry Pi lately. Those uh, those new ones. And I had got this new case. Oh, I'll, I'll talk about it soon. It, it's my pick of the week. But I want to talk about this, this Raspberry Pi. I feel free when I'm using it. I can do anything I want with it. I have you know, full control over everything. But 
this there's some software problems that I just can't get past. Like this on-screen keyboard thing is just sluggish and slow, whereas my iPad's mm-hmm. real fast and smooth, but I can't use it to SSH into a machine. So there's like there's trade-offs. There's I guess it comes back to convenience versus privacy and and security. At the end of the day, yeah, pretty much. I need to hook my Raspberry Pi up again. Like it's actually on. It's been on for probably two months. Um, I just haven't hooked the HDMI up. I need to, I need to boot her back up and see what's going on. Um, it's such a nice little device. I was trying to use it for web development. It's just too slow for web development. I need to get, I'm curious about this case that you're talking about. Does it have a, like a fan on it? You ready to do picks of the week? Yeah, let's go ahead and do picks of the week. Okay. I got this, uh, new Raspberry Pi case. It's, uh, called the Flirk or it's from a company called Flirk. Oh, F L I R C. It's the nicest looking Raspberry Pi case I've ever seen. It's uh, aluminum with like a rubbery slash plasticky top and bottom. It's it just all the ports are cut out perfectly. It it feels good in the hand. Um, it just it, it looks like an Apple product. It's it's really nice. But Flirk is cool. They started off um, with a USB adapter that could receive infrared signals. So I could plug this little uh, USB dongle into a a computer and then use a regular TV remote and hit the buttons and then it could receive it and do things. And so they combine that with the Raspberry Pi and now you can use your TV remote to do things on your Raspberry Pi. Well, if you hook your Raspberry Pi up to a TV and you have software on the Raspberry Pi to control your media, now I can use my regular TV remotes to control my TV uh, via the Raspberry Pi and, and see my videos. But uh, the case that they created is super cheap, like $15. Awesome. And it looks great. So you can put this thing on your media center or, uh, you know, right by your TV. I'm holding it right now. It's just, it's so nice. But uh, it doesn't have a fan, but there's a place where they take the aluminum body of the case and then they, they go down to where the, the processor is. And then they give you a small piece of, um, what is that stuff that you put on a CPU? Thermal, thermal paste. paste. They give you like a little thermal pad and they put that thermal pad between basically the case and the processor. And so when you look on it, look at it from the outside, it's just a rectangle. But if you take off the little plastic cover, you can actually see that it actually dips down a little bit and touches the, the, the processor or the thermal pad. So the whole case is actually your heat sink. So it does get warm, but I don't have to have a fan, so it's totally silent, and it looks awesome. So I'm going to play around with, with this some more. But I've, I've been thinking about uh, coming up with a, a way to talk to it with my phone, and I want to use the Raspberry Pi and have the full freedom of the Linux operating system to do whatever I want. Run a full version mm-hmm. of Chromium, you know, access to do anything I want on a website, run, compile software, anything I wanted. But I want to be able to access it and get it on the Internet quickly. If I don't have a screen on it, trying to change its Wi-Fi network is difficult. So I've been playing around with the idea of of using Bluetooth low energy on an iPhone to write a small app that I can just get my phone near it and then send it some very small packets that could let me change the network name and password and then let the the Pi itself connect to the whatever Wi-Fi I'm near. And then I can remote into it from my iPhone or iPad. So I'm, I'm looking at this new scenario to try to make my iPad or my iPhone have more features like the full, like a full computer, but still use iOS. 
and then um, still use this affordable Raspberry Pi. So this is an this is an experiment that I will probably document uh, on the podcast as I go about it over the next couple months. But yeah, that's my pick. Is this a FLIRC case? It is awesome. That's awesome. I just bought one. <laughs> just bought one because I've got the um, the cheap six six seven eight dollar you know default Raspberry Pi case that's white and red. And uh, it just it just feels kind of cheap, so I I've, I want my pie to be in something that's a little bit a little bit nicer. <laughs> um, but yeah, the pie for anybody who doesn't have one and is interested in foraying into the world of desktop Linux should definitely check it out. It's a great little PC that you can get running for super cheap. Um, yeah, definitely check it out. One, my one favorite. last thing before before you uh, yeah. your pick, I'm thinking about recording the podcast. Next week on the pie. Ooh, that might. Okay. So we should actually both attempt that. We should give that a shot and see what happens. I predict in two weeks, we're going to have a follow-up podcast. And when we say this is a terrible idea, but we'll see. I'll take that bet. We'll see. We'll give it, we'll give that a shot. We'll do a test recording before we actually do it, but I wouldn't be surprised if the pies overheat. Halfway. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> What's your pick? My pick is a website called unsplash.com. Um, unsplash.com. Do you remember interface lift? Yes. So I used to love interface lift. I would go there all the time. And recently, like as in the past, actually let's do some real time follow-up. Let's find out when the last time it was updated. Cause it, it, it hasn't been updated in a fairly decent time. Last time it was updated was January 18th, 2019. That's not that bad actually. Um, it's not that bad, but I remember how they used to come out with like an image almost every yeah. day. Um, so it's, it's not dead, but it's definitely not active. Tell all the listeners what, Um, uh, interface lift did interface lift, um, which I'll put it in the show notes as well, was a website that just had so many really just absolutely beautiful wallpapers for any screen size that you want. I'm looking right now, they've got them in widescreen 24, 10 aspect ratio. They've got, they had them for windows phones. They had them for, um, you know, and basically any device that is some sort of personal computer or like mobile device, they had screen sizes already there for you and just great landscape photos. So, but like I said, they're, they're really not updating it anymore. Um, so if you are looking for something very similar, unsplash.com is about as close as you're going to get. Um, they've got, all sorts of different types. They've got, you know, wallpapers, they've got textures, they've got um, photos of animals, they've got random food and drink stock photos. It's not just wallpapers. It's also stock stuff, but everything's pretty high resolution. Cool. It's free. Um, it is definitely worth checking out. At this point, all of my wallpapers that I'm using on my phone, my Mac, I get from Unsplash. Um, yeah, definitely check it out. It's free and got some just really good quality photos. That's awesome, man. Okay, DJ. Yeah, we man. We need to need to wrap this thing up. Podcasting, Podcasting is hard, is man. It's hard. Good night, man.